0: All right. We're going to be. Uh, we want to look at a. We're going to. We're going to take a. Uh, we're going to take a little journey through the book of Titus uh, for the next few weeks. Probably it'll probably be for six weeks or so. Um, but I thought it would be helpful just to to look at a different kind of a a different a look at the church uh, from um, a, a second generation Christian uh, because <clears throat> Paul is writing to Titus and Titus. Uh, is one of the two men that he really had a lot of confidence in uh, Paul had Timothy and he had Titus and both of those men were men that he used a lot in ministry, but they were kind of second generation in a way they they were they were going to be the kind of the the church's kind of uh, you might say they were going to be the men that would be looked to in the church after they passed, after Paul and Peter and others passed off the scene. So I thought it would be helpful just to look at the gospel ministry and how that ministry in some ways should mirror, it, it really is to mirror all ministry. But it's also um, interesting that the people that Paul is going to be uh, writing to in terms of for Titus are people that he, uh, he had... Um, that are very similar to the church today. Uh, It's—I uh, don't know about you, but I think we live in a very self-centered culture. It's—it's uh, it, very—it's uh, very much so, and and because of that, I think sometimes we think, well, how do we reach a self-centered culture? In fact, I saw a young man just—I uh, looked like a little boy, and he was pulling his stuff across the bridge there as I got off on. Uh, Chesapeake and Marmette exit. And I thought, I said, that looks like a little kid. And I looked back and it's like just a little kid. He's just pulling his stuff on a little thing. And I thought, I hope that he wasn't sleeping under the bridge, but it surely looked like it. Um, but anyway let 's turn it over to titus and we 're going to look at the verse four verses and just kind kind of get a get a, a picture of of why Paul is writing this letter and and why it 's important for us because it, it's, it, he wants to deal with how the church is affecting The culture, okay, and and so that's really I think very relevant to us. How do we affect the culture, right? Because we're dealing with similar type of issues that that Paul is dealing with here, and so uh, he's uh, he's commissioning, if you will, or giving uh, Titus advice. And so let's look at uh, verses one through four of Titus chapter one, and it's in your pew Bible. If you if anyone doesn't have a Bible, it's on 1184 page 1184. In a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. And we'll conclude uh, the reading. This reading portion of God's Word. And Let's pray, Father. We just uh, come to you this morning, and and as we think about all the needs that are not only represented here in this church, but also in um, the uh, culture around us, uh, our communities, and, and the people whose lives are affected by uh, the things that are going on around us. And Lord, uh, we we have a tendency to assimilate the culture, and sometimes fail to realize how it affects our thinking, it affects our living. Uh, it affects, Father, everything that we do, and, and so, Father, help us, we pray, to understand what your priorities are, and then, Father, may you transform us by uh, the power of uh, your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. By the way, pray for me. I was asked uh, to, uh, to conduct that funeral on Tuesday, and uh, so uh, I would... Uh, um, the name that I was given, Junior, it's Junior, but I, so I, it's Willis is his real name, okay. So i pray for that. i pray for uh, those who might be there that are not saved, that uh, God would use that message to minister to their need as well. Um, one of the, probably the one of the, of, uh, probably, the, I would say one of the most popular movies, that uh, of probably if you were looking at the most popular 100 movies, one of them, I think, is that we would, we would probably agree is probably one of the all-time films is It's a Wonderful Life, right? I mean, I think about every Christmas, some people watch that particular movie. But in that particular movie, George Bailey, who Jimmy Stewart, you know, is, is the one that portrays that, uh, in his youth, he dreamed of doing something. As a kid, he wanted to travel the world. Remember that? Uh, but for some, for whatever reason, and through other sacrifices, he ended up living in that town and becoming a banker in that town. And uh, at one point in that his life, as things begin to crumble around him, he himself becomes uh, gets to a place where he's going to be bankrupt. And he's uh, getting ready to commit suicide. He's getting ready to jump off the bridge. And his, uh, you might say, his attending angel, if you will, uh, kind of gives him a picture of his, what his life, what life would have been uh, like in the community without him being there. And, uh, and the purpose of that was that if he had never been there and if he had never lived there and he had done all the things he wanted to do, then the, that town would have been affected in a great way. But the point of that, too, is to say uh, to us that you know, his life touched the people around him in that community. And so our lives, no matter how we package it or how we look at our life, that our life has meaning and purpose and it touches other people. And I think Paul is, is is writing to Titus because he's saying it's the everyday common things that we do that are really important in the Christian life. Sometimes we, you know, we always are looking for home runs, right? But, but what wins ball games are singles. <laughs> if you could just be consistent hitting a single, you could get many runs, right, over time. Uh, but so oftentimes in the Christian life, we forget those basic things that are important about being a Christian. And, and Paul's going to remind them of that. And the one key, if you could have a key theme of Titus, is godliness. In fact, if you were to go over to chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, he, uh, he picks up on this. He picks up on it in several places in Titus. Uh, uh, in, Uh, His ministry, but he says for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright godly lives in the present age Waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ So so there's this uh, this emphasis on godliness And, and and so you know, you think of the Apostle Paul in Romans and First and Second Corinthians, he's emphasizing doctrine, and it's important for us to believe the right doctrine. But he's also, he says it's important how we live out that doctrine in terms of how we live everyday lives. And because, specifically because when we are in a culture like we are today, where communication is very much, it's all over the place. There's internet, there's television, there's... Um, you know, and then you've got all the other things, Twitter and all the other places that people communicate all the time, Facebook, uh, that we're influenced by the culture, right? I mean, we can't, none of us would say that we've not been affected. But what Paul is saying is because of that, we need to realize that there are certain things that God doesn't want changed, and that's kind of why he's writing Titus. He, he's saying because these are the very things that will produce in you the changes that are necessary to have an impact on the, on the community. And so that's why um, I, th- I thought that this would be a very uh, appropriate uh, a series, I think, on, on just the Christian life and how godliness and just the everyday duties of life will has, have a great impact on our culture and our day. And so, uh, so the culture of Greek, Crete was like this. They were known for being liars, not telling the truth. And you can look at our culture that we live in today, and what's the biggest problem is that everything you hear is not true, right? In fact, um, a lot of things that you read and, th- and, and see oftentimes to- or hear isn't true. And because of that, it's easy to believe. I mean, if you, you know, if you preach a lie long enough, people believe it. And, and so Paul understands that that, that, that Satan is the father of lies. And the way that he controls people and how he keeps people in, in bondage is through deception and lying. And Paul understands that. And even the philosophers that uh, wrote in that day in verse 12, you can see one one of the philosophers, their own philosophers, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. I mean, that was the, now that's the island of Crete. That's right off the, you might say, if you were going to Greece and off the southeast corner of Greece, there's this island called Crete. And, God, and, and so, Paul, so Paul is sending Titus, telling Titus, I'm leaving you on Crete, and I want you to set things in order because I want you to remind them, the church, people in the church, the things that are going to be beneficial for them and for the people that they live with. And so, uh, so Paul is dealing with a, a culture very much like our own. It's not that different, I don't think. I think there's... Yeah, you know, the overriding concern for him is he wants to keep the gospel message central. See, see, the thing is, is well, what can I do to reach the culture other than preach the gospel? Now, it doesn't mean that. So, preaching the gospel also involves mercy ministries and other things. So, so there's a connection. But he's saying if you leave the gospel out, eventually you won't have the mercy ministries because. You know, we have, you know, as you have received mercy, what? Show mercy. And because we are beneficiaries of God's mercy, then Paul, of course, is very, very much concerned that the gospel remains central to the message that the church uh, uh, preaches to the world. And sometimes I remember, uh, in fact, just this recently, this past week, I, I see this license plate on this person's car often. And it's called, and it says on the back of it, living life. And, um, of course, I know the person and everything, but I know, we won't go into that. But, but, the point, but what struck me is that, you know, people are wanting to define for us what living the good life is. And what Paul's going to describe here is living the good life. From, from God's perspective, not from man's, but from God's perspective. And so, uh, as when you live in a culture that is trying to tell everyone else what the good life is, so if you turn television on, what would they say living the good life is? <laughs> they would define it very much differently than what we would think, right? Even, I mean, even, you know, in terms of, uh, our, but our culture is defining it much differently now. And Paul's addressing that. He's saying there's some things that just don't change. And um, we're not, you know, while we wouldn't say we're living in the days of judges, in some ways we are, right? Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And, and therefore, you know, what is right is whatever I decide is right. And, you know, you can't question that, obviously. Uh, and so Paul is, is really looking at how do we as Christians minister in such a society, in which we live. And it's not to discourage us, but to encourage us to remain true to those things that God has said never change. Because there's one key, there's a key phrase here. Um, It's three words. (laughs) God never lies, right? The very foundation of what we believe as Christians Is very much rooted in the fact that while we live in a society that is filled with lies and deception, we have a God who never lies. In fact, for us to even think that God would not fulfill one of his commands would be in fact to deny the very essence of who God is. Because the very essence of God is that he's holy and his holiness affects everything that God does, all his other attributes. His holy he's got holy power. Holy wisdom, you know, holy truth. <laughs> I mean, everything we think about who God is is reference to the fact that He's true to Himself. He's true to who He is as God. And so Paul's going to—he's—he's—he's he's, he's wanting us to—he's to, wanting t- Titus, but he also wants us to see what His commitments are. And so we're going to look at five commitments that Paul has in the text. And I don't know if we'll get through those. I don't have a watch. <laughs> Uh, okay, we're going to look at it, but, but notice the first, the first thing Paul really focuses on here is that Paul identifies his relationship to God himself in terms of his credentials. In other words, why, why, what is Paul saying about himself? He's saying that he's a servant or a slave of God. That word doulos was a word that was meant for a person who was at the lowest, that was the lowest place in society you could be, a doulos, a, sir, a slave. And, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So, so, Paul's credentials, you might say that the thing that kind of was driving him, his, his commitment was that he was under God's authority as a slave. Um, we, we think of slaves uh, as someone who was in bondage. But his, uh, uh, the, the slave, that word slave that's used in, in Scripture is a picture in the Old Testament of a, of a person who had served his master and at the end of that term was, was let go. But because he loved his master so much, he would have his ear bored through with a hole in his ear. And that was to say, I'm going to serve you the rest of my life because, out of love and devotion to Christ. There's probably no higher calling in the Christian life for you and me then for us to describe ourselves, first, our relationship with God is one of, we are a servant. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. We, we are slaves, but it's a slave that we, that, that's, that's serving out of love and gratitude to God. That's what that idea of servant meant. And it's interesting, Paul puts that first before he puts his apostleship there. Before he puts his, you might say, his title I mean, he could have said, I'm an apostle, you need to listen to me. But he says, no, my first, my first I want you to understand that, that I'm, under, I'm under my master, God, who is my Savior. And Christ, Christ God the Father and God the Son, both are, are a part of the, the saving work of, of that God is actually working in our lives. And so that's the credential. He's, he's basically saying, this is important. This is the priority in my calling is that I'm under authority. And because I'm under authority, I can't make up the message. <laughs> I'm obligated to preach and to teach and to minister, thus saith the Lord. I can't get off script, this idea. Yeah. In other words, if I, like, for example, think of an apostle as someone who had seen Christ Uh, and who had seen the resurrected Lord, which Paul had on his uh, road to Damascus Damascus when he was saved. Uh, An apostle was someone who was ordained by God, sent out by God. And uh, those 12 apostles were people that were under the authority of of God to proclaim that message. And so as an ambassador, an ambassador represents who? Who? The people, the country, he actually, he, and so he, he he speaks with the authority of that, of, let's say if they're an ambassador of the United States, they speak with the authority of, of uh, the president and so forth. And so they speak under authority. And that's what Paul wants us to, uh, he wants to remind that truth, truth that he's preaching is always relevant. So we never can get away from the, the gospel. It's always relevant to all of life, at all the times, no matter how bad things get. And things in Crete were bad. <laughs> I mean, people just didn't want to work. People were lying and cheating, getting whatever it takes to get ahead. And, and it's very much like uh, the society we live in. I mean, you know, uh, have you ever had somebody lie to you just with a, with just? I mean, they they are so good. They can just, you, you look them in the eyes and they can lie to you just, without blinking an eye and you're going like, man, I fell for that again. (laughs) That was the kind of society that Paul was was dealing with here in the church. But he didn't want that to seep into the church and, and have it affect the way that people in the church were living and how they were communicating. And not to give up the one message that would produce the kind of life that's necessary to have an impact on the culture. And so that is the first thing he says. But notice he also goes, he goes, he goes on and he says that the focus or the purpose for his calling was this. Paul was preaching the gospel for one purpose. And notice the purpose there that he mentions. He says, for the sake of who? The faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Paul knew that God in his sovereign grace, from the beginning of time in love, God has chosen what? Chosen us in Christ Jesus. That's hard for us to understand that, but if we understand election in that in those terms then we'll realize that God chose God God before time began it says that he basically wrote your name down in the Lamb's book of life and you say, wait there, I thought that came when I believed in Jesus no it actually that's what Paul says in Ephesians 1 right God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world there was this counsel of God the Father Son and Holy Spirit and God chose to do that and you go like Well, I didn't get to vote in that. (laughs) And the reason God did it is because it says in love he did that. Now, I don't know about you, but my mind can't go back that far. Can you? I can't even go back 10, 20 years and remember what happened. (laughs) But, you know, think about it. Okay, before the beginning of time, God chose us in Christ Jesus. And Paul, and so that, word, that, that idea is that, that Paul is saying, okay, I'm a servant of God. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And the purpose of my ministry is for the faith of God's elect. In, in fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10, he says, chapter 2 verse 10, he says this. He says, I'll suffer all things for the sake of God's elect. He's basically saying, what, in other words, I'll go to prison. I'll die as, an, as a martyr. Whatever it takes. In other words, I'll preach the gospel knowing that if God has chosen to save people, he'll use his word to do that. Now, what that's called is grace. Because we believe that what? We believe that we're saved by grace. That means unmerited. So why would God save anyone except that God in love just chooses to love you and love me? And Paul's not, Paul's, not, Paul's not apologizing for that. In fact, uh, when he went to Galatia, you remember when he went to Galatia, he was beaten a number of times and he was left for dead. But at the, in Acts 13, verse 48, it says, those who turn eternal life believed the message. And you say, no, I thought I decided to do that. Yeah, you decided to do that because God decided he was going to open your, your eyes to the gospel. That's what, I mean, see, that, that's what makes grace so amazing. And you have to say, well, why did God do that? Uh, Spurgeon would say this, I don't understand why. I said, the problem that I have is not why God didn't choose everyone, but why did God choose me? He said, that's the amazing thing. Because if we're dead in trespasses and sins, the only thing that would, would make sense is that God would have to do something in order to enable me to believe the gospel message when it's preached. And actually, you know what that means? I don't have to convince anybody. I don't have to, I don't have to present the gospel perfectly because if God's at work through the word, what will happen? Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. Romans 10, 9, and 10 there. You know, as, you know, for with the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That, see, that takes the monkey off my back, right? Because there's people out there, I don't know who they are, so Paul preached the gospel to everyone, and everyone who was appointed unto eternal life believed. In fact, in in chapter 16 of Acts, it says that as Paul's preaching the message, it says what? The Holy Spirit opened her heart to believe the message. Paul knows. And so, so it's not like, okay, boy, I just have to be a real persuader. I just really have to be, I just be, I have to be at the top of my game in order for anyone to come to faith. Paul just says, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. In fact, he, so, so the part of that, part of the thing here is that he's saying he didn't have to use gimmicks, you know why people? Uh, in fact, in chapter two, he says, "I'm not peddling the word of God like others, for I determined to know nothing among you." Chapter two, verse one, other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Paul, Paul says, "I don't have to use gimmicks. I don't have to use tricks. I don't have to use a lot of a lot of things that that people would say because of what? Faith comes by hearing, and as the word of God is preached, then." God's people say, you know, those who are going to be saved and those who also are saved, they respond to the word. It's just, it's, it's an automatic. It doesn't, it's not about the the, the speaker. Paul says, "I planted and other waters, but God gives the increase." It takes it takes the pressure off. We don't, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to figure out everything. I use uh, I use I I call, I just do a Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. You know, the hidden things belong to the Lord. The things revealed belong to us. And and you know, when you think about it, I can't understand God's secret counsel. I don't understand what the Father and Son were doing back then. But but Paul even mentions it here that God made this promise before the ages there in verse 2. Before the ages began. So I wasn't even there to listen to what they were talking about other than the fact that he reveals it. In scripture, he wants us to know that the God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit were sitting in the council of God. And they made a, God, the father made a promise to his son that he's going to give him a bride. That's the church. That's the church of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit agreed to apply the work of Christ to give us faith and repentance. And you're going like, Where's my will? Wait there. Wait there. I made a decision. Yes, that's true. But that decision was because of God's work that he had made. And that makes what it does is it makes, when you stop to think about it, it's all grace. I can't sit there and go, well, because, you know, God looked down the corridors of time and he saw that I had faith and somebody else didn't. And therefore he chose me. That's not what it says. For knowledge, God, yes, God chose, he, he foreknew us, but that idea is that he knew you personally. That word know is, is an intimate term of God. Adam, it says, knew his wife. God knew us. He knew your name. All my sheep will come to me. And you say, well, mate, there's, there's people out there that will are, that are come, come to Christ when they hear the message. If they are God- if God's chosen, God doesn't turn anybody ba- down that wants to come. So the practical impact is Paul saying, you know, this actually promotes evangelism. Do you realize that? Because I just have to share the gospel. Those who, whoever will, will come because God gives them an ability to believe. Uh, we don't have to use a lot of gimmicks. We don't have to use a lot of tricks. And so Paul says, okay, the third thing that he's going to mention here is why does God, what why does God intend to do? What are the results God's intending to do as the gospels preached? And the goal here, is, is he even states it, that God, that his goal, notice in verse one, the goal is to preach or to, to reach the elect, God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth. And now in the NIV, it says this, which leads to godliness, which is actually a good good translation of that verse. In other words, which accords with godliness. So, 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 the, so Paul's saying the one thing that's necessary is that as you preach the gospel, yes, you want people to be saved, but you want... But there's, there's another aspect of Paul's ministry was that he also, that that salvation leads to godliness. Because think about it, when people are... Um, I don't know about you, but uh, people can talk a good talk. But, they, but he's saying, but you got to look at what the results are. And godliness is what God is wanting to do. He's, godliness, if you wanted to kind of boil it down to, its, to one word, it's Christ-likeness. So God's goal is to bring people to faith. And that faith then result in godliness. And the way it affects the way you live day by day moment by moment, in relationship with, you know, in the culture uh, that you're in. Whether it affects the marriage, it affects the church, it affects the way we relate to children, it affects the way we relate to our community. All those things are a part of godliness that Paul's talking about here. And and so godliness is not just some kind of, you know, there's people that are godly that are kind of like they're, they they, kind of live in the ivory towers. That's not godliness. Godliness is every day. You know, hands and elbows getting dirty, <laughs> you know, dealing with dirty diapers, <laughs> dealing, with, dealing with life and the difficulties and the struggles of life. And doing that with an understanding that God, God gives us a different attitude towards everything, our responsibilities even. Uh, and, and Paul's saying that's going to have a, that speaks powerfully to a culture that basically has abandoned all standards, Right? Your life will speak louder than actually your doctrine, right? Your life will impact people. And he's saying, don't disconnect good teaching from the way that you live out that Christian life. So godliness is, someone, I'll give you a definition that I wrote down from uh, Ian Mary. He says, godliness is a life-shaped, directed, and governed by god 's truth, it just basically means this is that that a Christian, once they want, we believe in Christ for salvation, then we then look and say what 's god 's will for my life? How am I to live in response to what god 's done for me it 's basically saying, when we pray the lord 's prayer, um, or you know, we sing oftentimes we 'll sing the lord 's prayer, but a lot of times we 'll say the lord 's prayer in the lord 's prayer there 's something in there that says, "What?" Thy kingdom come, my will be done. No? When you pray that prayer, I, I've often, I, I'll use that as a kind of a, you know, if you want to think about prayer is I'll say, well, wait there. Lord, I want your will. Now, he's not talking about a secret will. He's talking about God's revealed will in Scripture. So what is God's revealed will for you in marriage? What's God's revealed will for you in terms of how you raise your children? What's God's revealed will in terms of how we show mercy to others? So when we pray, thy will be done, we're saying, Lord, give me the wisdom and understanding to apply this to how I live today. Um, that, by the way, helps me with murmuring, <laughs> complaining, belly aching. Um, you know, it's like, uh, okay, you know, we're at it again. Um, And what Paul is saying is that the gospel produces godliness. In other words, the gospel, what the gospel does is it shows you that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And that because of that, the one thing that you want, if God is reconciling us to himself, the one thing that you want the most is what? You want that relationship. And so the psalmist says, I thirst for God. He says, as a deer pants for water, even so my soul thirsts for God. See, that's godliness. <laughs> what produces that? Why do we sing these songs like, you know, we, we sing, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Why we realize that, Lord, I was lost. I was totally, a, I, was, I was outside of, 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 of anything good. And God draws us by his grace, opens our hearts to the gospel. And he shows us the cross and he shows us that Christ paid our debt for us. And then all of a sudden it's like, Lord, I just want to know you more. <laughs> I want to know that God that loves like that, right? I want, I want to know more of, uh, of God's word. I want to know more of Christ. And so when I, when, I, when I go into scripture and I say, what is God's will? Well, it's, it's just all over scripture. God's will for us to, you know, in fact, he says in 2 Thessalonians, in the 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, the will of God is your sanctification. In other words, to become more like Christ. So one of the prayers you could always pray, and I do, is just Lord, make me more like Christ. Because my thinking sometimes get twisted by the world. Uh, you know, we, we, we adopt some of the, some of the attitudes of the world. And and so when we're praying, thy will be done, we're just saying, Lord, I just want to be more like Christ in the way that I, I relate to people, uh, you know, to, to, to love them as Christ loves them. And what's the, at the very foundation of all of this, Paul's saying is the fact that your God and my God doesn't lie. He's kept his word. Think about it. He's kept his word for how long? From the very first promise he's made. Even back in the garden when he says, when Adam and Eve fell. And they were, God could have judged them right there. But he says, no. He says that through the seed of the woman, God was going to crush the head of Satan. Now we have to almost go, what? Four, five, six. I don't know how many thousands of years before that. Before Christ came for that to happen. And think about every prophecy in the Old Testament is being fulfilled. And probably 80 or 90% of it's already been fulfilled, right? (laughs) And then all of a sudden you think of all the promises God's made to his people. Think about every time you see a rainbow, what do you think of? God's promise. God gave Noah a promise that I'll never destroy the earth again by water. And so every time I see that rainbow, I go, Lord, you keep your promise. (laughs) And how many rainbows have you seen? (laughs) And every time I see one, I say, you know, it's like, take a picture. It's hard to take a picture of a rainbow while you're traveling in the car. But, you know, it's, it's like, but you want to take a picture. Why? It's just a reminder. God's faithful to his promises. And Paul wants to anchor Titus in that thinking, the way that he approached his whole ministry was a realization that we have a God who cannot and will not and has never lied and I'd rather bank on that. I'd, I'd take that to the bank any day, wouldn't you? Because how many people have lied to you over your lifetime? And even, you know, we could think, well, maybe I made promises I couldn't keep. But God's never not kept a promise. I, and and Paul's, Paul's. you might say, he's hinging everything in the gospel. When we, when we understand the gospel, it's to say that no matter what circumstances you're facing, God can't lie. Like, so, if what's happening in your life seems to contradict one of God's promises, what you need to park on and I need to park on is God can't lie. Self that. God cannot lie. And God said he will do it. He will do it. He may not do it in the way that I want, but he will fulfill his will because he cannot lie. And, and so, Paul, as he goes out and preaches the gospel, he knows that God has sent him with a message that will be used by God. See, God ordains the ends, but he also ordains what? The means. And the means are, are, he gives us here, is through the preaching. His fifth point here is that that God, in verse 3, proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So Paul's almost seeing himself kind of at the end. He's kind of seeing himself here. And he's saying, now, God's ordained means is preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. But there's going to be people, people with tickling ears that don't want to hear the gospel. Preach the gospel. <laughs> he's just saying preach the word regardless. In season, out of season. You know, it's, you know, it's always in season for preaching the gospel. Uh, you know, uh, my opinions, they might matter a little bit, but God's opinion matters a lot. And and that's what he's saying. Um, You know, 2, 4, let God be true and every man a liar. It's just, and you say, boy, that just sounds, what's God saying to us in a culture in which there's very little that we can say is certain. We have the certainty because of who God is. And we have a message that Paul says is always relevant to every problem that we are going to confront in our culture. You know, the, the thing that, uh, you know, Paul, Paul's, so Paul is, if you, if you think of it, Paul wants Titus to be as committed to the message as he is. Because God's ordained the preaching of the gospel to save sinners. Now, it doesn't mean that, okay, well, it's not, uh, well, you know, we preach the gospel, by the way, when we share the gospel with somebody, right? We preach the gospel, when we, uh, someone, uh, but we also preach the gospel to people who are, you know, you're just saying, you know, that person doesn't have a foggiest idea of terminology even of the gospel. We use, we use the word, for example, justification. You have to explain that to people, Right? I didn't know what it meant when I was a little kid. It was justification. I have no idea. But the just shall live by faith. We just, you know, we we explain. In other words, there's this diamond called the gospel out there. And people are walking by it every day. Now, who's enriched by the gospel, the pearl of great price? It's everyone who has received the gift of eternal life, Right. You know, there's a, there's a story of uh, the world's greatest diamond mine in South Africa. You know how it was discovered? Well, one, one day this guy goes out and he's walking around and he sees these diamonds on the ground. <laughs> and, he's, and he's saying, that's a diamond. People are saying, ah, no, we see those all the time. Eh, don't, don't pay any attention to that. And he said, no, he says, I know that's a diamond. So he sends it off to uh, a, a person who is a professional and in fact, it was the biggest diamond that had ever been found at the time. It was, uh, I don't remember how much it was worth. I think it was worth over 500 pounds at that time. And I don't know what, what that would equal to now. Uh, and so he and another man went back to that spot and you can imagine they became very rich. But all along people were walking past these diamonds and didn't know it. See, the gospel is a diamond. And people are just, you know, you say, oh, I just want you to, you know, God has something really rich here for me to, I want to share with you. It's it's, it's more, in fact, it says that it is worth more than gold and silver. They just need to know that there is a message that does change. You know, we say, well, you know, there's families, there's families disconnected. There's kids that are not loved. And what's going to change that? Well, God has to change a heart, doesn't he? They need the gospel. Just as much as we need the gospel, the world that we are dealing with needs the gospel. They need mercy. Sometimes that's the means that God uses, like a hospital ministry or, you know, a food bank ministry, whatever it is. But the gospel has to be a part of that ministry to those people and to those that we're seeking to to reach. Because the offer of the gospel is always free, right? Whosoever will, let him come. And eat. That's the gospel. It's freely you have received. We can freely offer that and say, "Hey, if you really want to know, understand what what life is, you need to come to Christ, who not only paid the price for our sins, but also gives us new life. And that's the eternal life that Paul's talking about. In hope of eternal life. That's not that word hope. There is it's certain. You have a certain certain eternal life now and with God forever. And that's because of the certainty of God's work already accomplished. See, so what is it? It's that the gospel always has relevance to you, to the people that you're serving, the people that are around you. Uh, everywhere you look, whether it's a neighbor, a friend, whoever it is, the gospel is always relevant. And it's that message that God wants us to get a hold of. He wants it to get so much a hold of us. I mean, think about it. If you struck it, now, let me say this. I don't like, I don't play the lottery. But if this is to say that I did and I struck it rich, do you think I would say say anything to anybody? Would you? You'd probably say, man, you know, at least you'd tell your wife. I hope. (laughs) Right. So you struck at rich, you know, $40 million, I think I saw, or I don't know, $60 million, I, I, you know, anything. Okay, so, but, but here we have this pearl of great price. It's eternal life. It's life that will never end. It's life with, with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's eternal. And we have this diamond of great price, and we want to say, well, I don't really want to share that with anybody. I don't want to tell anybody about that because, you know, But think about everyone you share the gospel with and everyone who comes to faith in Christ, by the way, they don't diminish anything as far as what God's riches are, right? God's got an infinite amount of riches and all of those riches become ours in Christ Jesus because we become heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. The foundation is, is, is certain. It's because God is a God who cannot lie. We're going to look at uh, this book a little more. We're going to look at why Paul, uh, he's going to focus a little, he's going to focus some on leadership, but then he's going to jump right into how this gospel affects women, men, children, relationships, and everything in chapter two. And then in chapter three, he's going to see how that affects our mission as a church. And I think that will be uh, helpful for us to think about. Let's pray. Father, I just would pray that uh, we would, having received such a blessing, uh, Father, to have the gospel, to have the word of God to, uh, to come to us as a free gift of your sovereign grace. Lord, I pray that we would be as excited about sharing that message with a world and a culture around us that's filled with lies and deception, uh, filled with, Father, uh, everything but the truth, And, Father, may we as your church be a pillar and support of the truth as we look at a world that's lost and a world that's needy, uh, but a world that, uh, Father, you have sent us out into to share the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he rose again for our justification and that he's coming again to claim us and to take us home. And for this, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.